welcome to the F1 Strategy Report for Formula Legend. On this week's edition, the Monaco Grand Prix, Daniel Ricciardo's robbed of victory around the streets of Monte Carlo. And why can't any team win a race properly? That's all to come in this edition of the Strategy Report. My name's Michael Amanado, and joining me this week on the program, he's a man I've known well for many years. He's from Box of Neutrals, which you may well have heard. His name's Rob James. How are you? Hello, Michael. Uh, I actually know who you were supposed to have on this week, and and I'm flattered (laughs) to be in the same company as Person X. Yeah, you were literally second on the list, Mm. which is pretty good company to be in, I think. Yeah. That man will be coming on a later program, we hope. I I, I get endorsements on LinkedIn for, uh, he's he's very well at riding the coattails of people better than him. And just happy to, to sit in second. Yeah, that's fine. It's it's a perfectly yeah. reasonable place to be. Actually, one of my one of my racing mottos because I do some club club uh, kart racing. I hate being on pole. Well, I have to be on pole in the first place. But <laughs> if I were on pole, I would hate it because I don't like being hunted. I prefer I prefer the chase. Mm. To be honest, it's just because there's no pressure though. Yeah, so, but I, but yeah. saying prefer the chase sounds very exciting. <laughs> it sounds very cavalier. I like it. Yeah, maybe or NASCAR. Can, yeah, <laughs> maybe we can change that to the motto of the show to that. I don't know how that would go down with marketing, but we'll give it a go anyway. I'm glad as well, because so far, all of my guests on this program, we've only had one kind of dull race, as Mm. opposed to last year. I didn't have to host last year, so that was fine. (laughs) But this year, all the races have been really good. And also, perhaps surprisingly for Monaco... Also really good. It was. I mean, it, 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 Monaco is hardly the fastest Grand Prix in the world. I mean, if, you, if you're a massive fan of, of Grand Prix in Monza and Spa, you'd be sorely disappointed at the spectacle <laughs> uh, over in Monaco. But, but, but that said, the scale of the track, because it's so narrow. I mean, when I watch Formula 1 on television, I'm rarely astounded at the speed of the cars. There's only a handful of times where I really am. And watching qualifying on the mm-hmm. Saturday, there were moments where I just went, oh, jeez, that's... <laughs> That's quick. I mean, that final sector where Dan Ricciardo set mm-hmm. the, the lap of the gods, as I'm calling it, yes. even I had to go, oh, jeez, my heart skipped a little bit watching mm. that because that looked mighty quick uh, through there. So, yeah, well, what an amazing race to, to be to be uh, reviewing this week. Yeah, exactly. And it was. It's sort of watching a really good lap around Monaco is almost mm. like controlled out of control yes. at the same time because you have to be so close to that yeah. limit that people talk about in Formula 1 racing yeah. being on the limit. And, yeah, I think Daniel Ricciardo pole is a perfectly acceptable place to start <laughs> for a race review. Uh, that pole position, fantastic. And the fact that Mercedes... Couldn't touch it. Nico Rosberg had to admit. I mean, Nico Rosberg's very good at admitting that he's not quickest on a day. He's not quickest. And he had to admit that. No credit to Lewis Hamilton saying, well, I should have got pole. Because they just couldn't touch it. Even the Mercedes cars couldn't touch it. Yeah. All weekend, you had that sense for it when, when Dan wheeled out uh, in Thursday practice. The upgraded Renault slash Tag Heuer motor mm-hmm. uh, aboard the Red Bull racing machine. Of course, we know the credentials of its chassis um, as well. So it was really... Every Grand Prix, you, you, you tend to get a vibe of whose Grand Prix mm-hmm. this this will be aligned to. Sometimes it's a bit of a... You know, it could be three people, but, the, but it, was a, it was the one weekend where you go barring any sort of uh, sort of mishap from <laughs> external sources, uh, this one would be Ricardo's to win for sure. I thought it was interesting that in qualifying, Hamilton said, you know, I hope there's rain. It's the only way I'm going to win this race. <laughs> kind of worked out yeah. perfectly for him in some respects because when we woke up on Sunday, it was wet. It was real wet and it rained sort of into the start of the race a little bit, dried up, and then subsequently there wasn't really rain until the last couple of laps, but that didn't make any difference anyway in any case. But... 
the rain, in some respects, when it should have made it harder for Ricardo, the safety car start, the first ever safety car start, incidentally, in Monte Carlo ever. Really? That's a good, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, I can't remember one, and no. I, other people have, have safely reported so, <laughs> so I'll just say that that's the case as well. Uh, had did help him off the line, but it did open up, because, I mean, realistically, Monaco is only one chance to make any difference in the around the pit stops, yeah. but it created more of them, essentially, and it created more chance for there to be diversity. And so Red Bull Racing should have, at that point, had a decisive strategy, but it seemed like they, they just didn't, despite having such a comfortable lead. Yeah, but to be honest, that first portion of the race where it was wet, then it started to dry out, and then you're mm-hmm. wondering, oh, everyone's who's going to go on inters? And then we saw, I think it was Ericsson in the Sauber was the first one to pit, uh, and then eventually everyone sort of copycatted that mm-hmm. move. Apart from Lewis Hamilton, he, he was just like, well, I'm still setting fastest laps in the wet. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, it was remarkable. We, we had, what, five tyres going through yeah. this race. In total, you saw the wet, you saw the inters, you saw the soft, ultra soft, and super soft. I mean, mm. in terms of, it, it was almost like an accidental tyre war that, yeah. we, that we saw. <laughs> well, I think around lap 30, when there were a whole bunch of pit stops, it was the final pit stop window, literally every tyre was on a car somewhere, mm. all five of them, <laughs> which is ludicrous to consider, yeah. really. But it does go to show, and what I think has not been talked about enough, is that last year, and in years past, indeed, the wet tyre has been a pretty average tyre. It's got to be said, none of the drivers like it, partly because races that are, too, are wet enough for the wet tyre normally have a safety car involvement, so there are very, there's very little racing on the wet tyre. But generally, it was not a tyre anyone wanted to be on. But not only was it a very effective tyre around Monaco, yes, there's not a lot of degradation around Monaco, but nonetheless, it worked for Hamilton for 31 laps. And those, the yeah. last, let's say, 10 of those laps... The track was very dry. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it shouldn't happen. I no. mean, I mean, you, you see it in in other races that have gone by. They last barely a handful of laps. I mean, mm. uh, it's the reason why they often use wet tires as demonstration tires to do burnouts at, yeah. at exhibitions. I mean, I, I was absolutely staggered at how dry it was. Yeah, there were a couple of wet patches, but surely that would have that would have been better suited to to, to the intermediate tire. And, mm. I th- I, and even the intermediate was a bit weird. I mean, we saw Max sort of Max Verstappen aboard the Red Bull car sort of very, very taily and, and, and get, gaining a lot of wheel spin, whereas Hamilton managed to save his wet tyres. I mean, it, mm-hmm. it was mighty impressive how durable they were and how he made them last uh, for as long as they did. And, I mean, it, 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 it was just remarkable that uh, it, even after uh, Ricardo's uh, botched pit stop, which mm. I'm sure we'll debrief on oh, later. I reckon we might touch on it. <laughs> uh, that's, uh, that, that Hamilton you know, could eventually come out just in front of mm. uh, of Ricardo because you would think that if much like Nico Rosberg who was unusually slow yeah. for much of the race you would have thought oh surely he's just you know just driving driving to the conditions of the tire mm. uh, and just holding up Ricardo but no that that was genuinely good pace and and obviously the the the, the various fastest lap times on a wet tire on a dry mm. track is is, is, is um, um, unless we get another similar Monaco Grand Prix in the future you don't <laughs> think that's something we're going to ever see in Formula One again I think actually I mean we're saying similar Monaco Grand Prix Hamilton's only other victory before we pull out a couple more points to go back to 2008. Mm. Uh, that was also a wet start. And I'm pretty sure, because he took the lead. When did he take the lead for the first time? Like lap, what was it, 20 something? or in the 30s the second time. I actually have a feeling that's exactly when he took the lead in 2008 as well. In fact, I think I've seen someone ride as much. This was almost exactly the same race. It takes mm. the exact same conditions for Hamilton to win yeah. the Monaco Grand Prix. But we sort of said there, there were three things that put Hamilton into the frame for the win for this. It was the fact that Pirelli's got this new wet tyre, which they were testing at January, people might remember with, I think it was a Ferrari, a Mercedes and a Red Bull racing car in any case. Convenient. Yes. Oh, <laughs> it works out, doesn't it? At the same site where the old testing controversy yeah. for Pirelli... It would, it, 
its head a couple of years ago. It would have been no good if it was a sour testing the tyres because it no. would have just crashed into each other. Ericsson in third. What's this about? It would be very strange. <laughs> there was that. There was the fact that Rosberg, who qualified second, it must be said. In fact, you'll see Rosberg mentioned almost no race reports yes. because he finished seventh in the end. But he doesn't he had, deserve to get a mention. No, he <laughs> frankly he does not. He had he did have brake temperature issues to his yeah, credit. Yeah. Although so did Hamilton to some degree. It just seemed maybe Hamilton worked around them better. But uh, Rosberg was nowhere in this race. So him being moved aside, which I thought was interesting for Mercedes to actively say, hey, Nico, get out of the way. You're too slow On uh, very early on in the race. The, uh, the, the winner of the last three Monaco Grand, Grand yeah, Prix. exactly. And it, it entitled Hamilton to eventually take his first win since October, which is a very long time ago. Yeah. Uh, and then, of course, the pit stops all aligned to give Hamilton this position to take the win. Of course, there was more to it than just that. And then we did get to, and it plays into the fact that the tyres are a little bit different. We used to see this cutoff, and Jensen Button sort of nailed the cutoff in Monaco again, but he said after the race, it was a shame that everyone else did it as well, so there was no advantage to it. But the fact that there's not enough difference between the wet and the intermediate anymore means there's not as much of a reward to feel that gap. And so the result was a whole bunch of people switched to the intermediates, as you said, and fastest times were still being traded between Hamilton on the wets, Ricardo on the wets, and everyone else on the inters. So there actually wasn't the strategy we were expecting in that opening part of the race. I think it was a bit of a panic, because I seem to recall when uh, the early guys, like when we when you saw Jensen Button pop up on the on the timing mm-hmm. screens with fastest lap, McLaren Honda, oh, this tie's <laughs> got to work, surely. Surely we can be quicker than that. So I think it was maybe a case of people reacting to the unusual lap times being set mm. by some cars you normally wouldn't expect to be setting fastest lap times even at the at that early stage of the Grand Prix. Yeah, and so we got to this point where the only there are only two people on the entire track that sort of sensed that maybe the wets are better than mm. we were used to. And they were Lewis Hamilton, conveniently enough, <laughs> and also Pascal Werlein, who didn't really play a part in this race at all. <laughs> so we'll move past him. But it was it's interesting to consider that the window to change to the to the slicks, and everyone agreed on this window because everyone changed within about three laps of each other. It was around about lap 30. Yeah. was only seven laps later than Ricardo switched to the intermediates. And yes, the intermediates were the tire to be on at the time by the yeah. end of that stint. But it's interesting that for the second race in a row, Red Bull, on a circuit where everyone knows you can't overtake, it's not a surprise to anyone, have gambled track position on an extra stop for some yeah. reason. Yeah, exactly right. I, I mean, we we all thought it was maybe a bit unusual to go on the inters that late, mm-hmm. but we thought, no, nah, this this will be all right. And had even with that pit strategy, had they not absolutely made a mess of that pit stop, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, we saw Ricardo just come out just behind mm-hmm. Lewis Hamilton. If if they even even if they fumbled the wheels as yeah. well, they, let alone not have them ready at mm. all, even if they put them on. Even if they had them ready when when Ricardo came into the box, still had a fumble, mm. Ricardo would have just been yeah. in front. It would have been a bit touch and go, and whether you know the the other consequences of that, whether Hamilton and Ricardo would have had another dive at another mm. corner. Who knows? They may have collided into each other. We don't know those what if scenarios. But this this was just a plain old just a colossal stuff up mm. and Dan Ricardo has every right to be upset. I mean, I remarked and I got scalded on social media for this. This is, I mean, <laughs> I, I, I've, I've, I don't know how to, re- how to react when, when people say you're an idiot. For this, that, and the other. <laughs> I was, I put it, I put out the very controversial thought and mm. I know that Ricardo is a somewhat protected species <laughs> every, all around the world, not just Australia. That, He's just so smiley. That despite the Red Bull stuff up in the pits, 
the two lockups that Ricardo incurred, mm-hmm. uh, I think, what, through Rascass? I can't remember the, the points uh, in time, but he had some yeah. fairly sizable lockups when he was mm-hmm. very close to Hamilton within sort mm-hmm. of, uh, you know, in, in that DRS range. And I, I know it's Monaco, and I know that you could easily catch up to, to cars later on, but having a lockup at Monaco just amplifies it even more. I mean, mm. I mean, if Ricardo didn't have the lockup, he could, would have been close. Pro- probably would have had another couple of attempts to make a pass on on Hamilton. And you know, I to, to be honest, I'm gonna I'm gonna put it 99.98 percent of the blame <laughs> on the mechanics at a very 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 small portion. And I know the circumstances because Ricardo he wouldn't have had to push if he wasn't fighting mm-hmm. for position. But none, nonetheless, he, he could have had a couple of opportunities to pass him on his own. Have his own straight race, straight fight with Hamilton, and and pass him genuinely for for the lead. I mean, if that had happened, geez, that would the, the whole Red Bull pit stop thing would not be an issue. We wouldn't be talking about this. Mm-hmm. I think there are two points to consider that on the pit stop. First of all, he was in a position uh, to possibly come out ahead of Hamilton because if you compare the in and out laps of those two drivers. Ricardo's were again mind-boggling mm. considering where yeah. he was now. Yes, he had fresher tires at that point. They were new inters compared to Hamilton's old wets, but he did such fantastic in-laps that he was yeah. in a position whereby, yeah, they could have fumbled the tires and still emerged yeah. in the lead. The fumble was much too big, it turned <laughs> yeah. out, and he didn't take the lead. You could have one fumble, it's yeah. fumbles. If That's they'd the only forgotten one tire, maybe they'd been okay, but all four is just too much nah. to bear, guys. And then the lockups, yeah, but I think that really goes to show it. It's something that Hamilton said, well, it was last year when he was in, I guess, a similar position when he been pitted late for ties for no reason and ended up behind Vettel and Rosberg, is that when you've got cars of very similar performance, especially around somewhere like Monaco, it's just too hard to follow. The aerodynamics of the cars means, and of course, what's the first part of aerodynamics that is disrupted on a car? It's the front wing and the front yeah. wheels. And just ask Kimi Raikkonen that question. Yeah, exactly. And that's and then it all goes wrong from there. Whereas you see Verstappen early in the race before he found the barrier, yeah. uh, he was passing the very slow, the very much slower cars compared to his Red Bull Racing Cup very yeah. easily because the performance gap was so great, and also because he's Max Verstappen. That's true. I mean, I was thinking about this today. I was reflecting with a friend about the race and just going. Max Verstappen, and I was remarking how it's a lot easier to to peg mm. down a very fast driver than to try to speed up a very slow driver. Yeah. I'm that case in point <laughs> of being the slow driver. But um, yeah, he he passed some cars that, that were very easy to pass. But Monaco is not not exactly the easiest circuit no, to do absolutely. it, and especially in the conditions that they were in, where it was mm-hmm. wet. You know, you go offline. You, you know, you, you mount a wheel on the curb. You could just easily um, loop it. So so Max was was incredibly impressive, and I. I, I almost feared to think what might have mm. been had he just kept on going the way he was going. Um, I, you know, top five for sure, top top three. Would have been fascinating, wouldn't it? Yeah. Because, yeah, and it's it's often been said, you know, Max Verstappen, he's very young but he, and he's a bit rough, as Monaco yeah. has proved, I think. But he's the kind of driver whose attitude, perhaps because he's so young and has only had three years in a car ever yeah. in his life, is that he goes for something and then figures out the consequences later. Yes. And at most circuits, that's fine. You go on the grass a bit, you maybe lose five seconds and you get back on. Maybe there's asphalt, you lose no seconds. You pass a car, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Monaco, you can't do that. And I think that's something he'll learn over time even something as simple i mean consider the accident that broke his chassis in qualifying <laughs> broke his chassis that's huge was just him turning slightly too early out of the swimming pool section yeah yeah you know, any any other circuit in the world he'd probably have gained time from doing that yeah but you you just can't in monaco and that was always a risk for him here i think yeah i i think in, in formula one and, and indeed in motor racing generally i think i think the experienced racing drivers can build mm-hmm. what i call up discrimination <laughs> so the more the more times that you do it the more sort of different lessons that you learn you kind of just 
stop taking risk is not what I'm after in, in, mm-hmm. in saying. It's just you sort of calculate it a bit more uh, and, and you try a different way. You might wait a couple of more laps. I mean, we, for mm-hmm. example, you wouldn't have seen Jenison Button pulling a similar move because he would just know, yeah, I'm not going to whack the barrier. That's a, that's a dumb thing to mm-hmm. do. Whereas Max would go, oh, yeah, well, that <laughs> Okay, I won't do that again, maybe. Yeah, so it'd be unlikely, you'd think, to see Verstappen ever crash in those places again. Yeah. But no, wait and see. Maybe we shouldn't say that so early. Maybe, maybe it's like, oh, maybe if I try it in fifth. <laughs> see how that goes. Yeah. And meanwhile, so obviously that, that panned out in the favour of Hamilton because after the switch to slick tyres, despite there being sort of a it being a bit of a line ball call to move to the ultra soft tyres, it turned out they worked fine. There was a little grip on Monaco that they were probably brand new by the time they took them off the car. Uh, and indeed, the super soft performed well. Even the soft performed really well. There was such mm. a little performance differentiation between any of them. And in fact, it was the soft that delivered Sergio Perez to his first Monaco podium, the first Mexican on a Monaco podium. Uh, He's still the only force... No, not the only force India to get a podium, but between him and Hulkenberg. It's shocking to think Hulkenberg doesn't have a podium at this point, but he's the man, despite what everyone says about Sergio Perez. He's the one who keeps delivering in this partnership. Should still be on a podium? No, but... um, Fisichella. Fisichella was. It was who I was thinking of. I don't think Sutil ever was. Someone can check that for us, I'm okay, sure, and write well. an angry letter <laughs> to Strategy's report. Yeah. So, yeah, Sergio is uh, re- remarkable. I know in, in terms of that midfield battle, mm-hmm. um, it's sort of very line and ball between uh, Force India and Williams, and Williams just had an atrocious weekend. Yeah, absolutely. Just generally was embarrassing. But to, but to be frank, they probably would have gone, lot right, let's just get through this. <laughs> just, just forget Everyone about it. Your eyes, Don't worry break. about it. Just finish and pack up. <laughs> let's, go to, let's go to Montreal where we can... <laughs> Hopefully, rustle up a better result. Mm-hmm. Um, the Force India tend to do quite well um, over in Monaco. And of course, they have the upgraded car mm. uh, that came online uh, in the previous round in Spain. Sergio Perez, of course, a master in, in Monaco before um, in GP2. But importantly, though, uh, and, and, and we, we had a conversation in the week about so Vettel finished in P4 in the factory mm-hmm. Ferrari. And, and I think we were talking about how. What, what happens at Ferrari when the Force India finishes higher mm-hmm. on the podium? And we jokingly remark, someone just gets sacked yeah. afterwards. <laughs> Hasn't happened yet at the yeah. time of this recording. It's still time. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, that was a mighty... I mean, if, if you look at Perez, he came in for, for, for the softs on lap 30 and Vettel mm. on lap 31. So there wasn't much... It wasn't like Vettel came in, you know, mm. 10 laps later. It, it wasn't a complete stuff up in, in that regard. It, it, it was that they were very evenly matched mm-hmm. um, in, in that regard. And again, Perez... Uh, maybe had a very shorter window on the inters. Mm-hmm. Maybe Vettel just just you know chewed up his inters a lot more. Yeah, well, I think it went to it went to show that Ferrari seemed. I mean, a they shouldn't have qualified so lowly. They were sort of a bit nowhere in qualifying. They've been a bit nowhere all year almost since Melbourne. Yeah. Since that time, they led a race. <laughs> Uh, they they tried, I guess, what you could call the undercut, or more accurately in these conditions, they tried to be ambitious and went to the Inter early. Mm. Not that early, though, mind you. Lap 13, other cars had been on it far earlier. And that undid what could have been, around any other circuit, a strategy that put him onto the podium. But nonetheless, he could make no impression on the Force India car. The Force India car, which is over the car, past couple of years, and at the hands of Sergio Perez as well, proved pretty handy. And you can't help but think what's going to happen for the rest of the year now. They've got, as you said, that upgraded package. They've got the class-leading power unit. Unit. And in Hockenberg and Perez, two really good drivers. Yeah, and they got some of the fa- uh, go fast factory bits from the Mercedes mm. uh, team. So they, they they've essentially become a, a, a pseudo satellite operation yeah. of Mercedes Grand Prix. Uh, but equally as well, Nico Hockenberg had a steady result, passing ironically mm-hmm. the factory Mercedes of Nico Rosberg. Uh, I think on the final corner of the final lap. Absolutely, yeah. When it was starting to get well, this is 
where Rosberg says <laughs> yeah. it's raining a little bit. And his tyres were old. Rosberg's yeah. tyres a little bit older and harder. Well, where, is it, where is it with Timo Glock in Brazil in 2008? They just can't yeah. handle last no, lap rain. just moderate rain. They can't. Oh, it was much worse in Brazil anyway. Uh, <laughs> but it was a terrible weekend for Ferrari in that respect. Fourth doesn't sound terrible, but I mean, when you consider yeah. Ferrari's been looking for a win since, what, 2001 in yeah. Monaco. Not that they were ever really in the frame for a win here. Raikkonen was the other man that compounded the weekend by just a really... Just some really average behaviour yeah. to describe it into the hairpin. Oh, Raikkonen's an odd unit <laughs> at the best of times on it, off the track, but but on it he's either on it or, or he's not, and mm. it, it, it's sort of he he's he, neither he nor there about caring uh, mm. about how well he's going. He's sort of like, well, well, that's the result. We'll worry about the next round. Obviously, he goes out there. I'm sure it with the intention of, of winning every single mm-hmm. race he enters, but there's sort of the, it, it, it's that fire that. It's not as confused and upset as, say, Sebastian Vettel is as to the situation that he finds mm. himself in, which I find Sebastian Vettel utterly infuriating at this point of time. Mm. Uh, but, but, but regardless of that, uh, I, 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 I was just watching some old Formula One races in the week, and you know, you watch Kimi Raikkonen ten years ago. And he's just jeez, mm-hmm. yeah, this guy was electric. I mean, I, I, I hasten to think in ten years' time we see a very tempered Max Verstappen where he's sort of yeah. putting around sixth place and, and quite satisfied with collecting that. a front wing in the tunnel and just yeah. trying for some reason to continue. Yeah, just sort of. Uh, it was just very, very clumsy. But you know, whether whether we see Raikkonen again in Formula One, I, I find it bizarre. He's still one of the most popular drivers. I know, the, right? There's this weird nothing following him, but, you know. for a whole bunch of, you know, nothing results. Yeah, and it, it is a little bit sad in that context. I mean, he's a world champion, mm. one of the most exciting drivers of past. Although all the rumours are, all the word is that he will be retained next year yeah. because Sebastian Vettel's not threatened by him. He's, only, he's only about uh, four, uh, four or five points behind Ricardo in, in, mm. in the championship stand. He's been very consistent this year. Yeah, so, I, I think he was as high as second or third. He uh, was second in the championship last week, I'm pretty sure, coming into Monaco. Yeah. Because, even because of the Mercedes cars retired, so Hamilton dropped yeah. down. But also just because he's always been there. He's yeah, always d- been roughly there, which has been, to, to his, his credit, very good. Absolutely. To his credit, he's been the moniker of consistency um, mm-hmm. this season. But consistency, just quite frankly, is not going to cut it at it's Ferrari. Boring. That said, <laughs> he's the number two driver, let's let's be honest, in, yeah. in that team. But um, it's it's almost like the, the Rubens Barrichello effect of, of, like, gee, he shouldn't be this high up in the championship. Mm. Like, it, like, I think it was, what, 2003? Rubens was unusually high. Mm. In the and championship that year. Just felt weird. Yeah. It's like temporarily when you're like, oh, Rubens might win the championship for Braun. You're like, no, that's not going to happen. I don't think so. Although I do love Rubens. And so it's interesting times for Ferrari. It's the story we've been following since the start of the year when they should have been threatening for wins and they just can't, like anyone else. In fact, I'm willing to say, all, of all the teams and drivers that have now been in contention for victory, and I'm including Max Verstappen's win, not Max Verstappen himself, obviously, because that was an accident on Red Bull's part. <laughs> No team other than Mercedes has been able to actually execute a full weekend competently. Mercedes is the only ones, and I think Monaco is a great example, where they were in the position to capitalise on other teams getting it wrong. But from Ferrari in Australia to Red Bull in Barcelona and Monaco... No teams actually, teams have been in position to threaten mm. and just gone, I don't know, yeah. and thrown all their cards up in the air and just hope for the best. The only wobble we saw from Mercedes were the two blokes behind the wheel in Spain. Mm. And even then, the, the, the team handled it really yeah. well. And then they just opened the opportunity for Red Bull and Ferrari to both get their strategies wrong. And then all of a sudden, oh, what? Oh, Max Verstappen's won. It was exactly like 2010 Abu Dhabi, the championship finale. No one thought Sebastian Vettel was going to win the championship. And then Mark Webber, Fernando Alonso, they just forget what they're doing and fight each other. And then all of a sudden, this kid's won the championship. It is amazing how, how long have we been Formula One in? 
Oh, it's just ages. Formula One teams still find mm. new lessons after every weekend. We're going, oh, gee, we shouldn't do that again. We've been doing yeah. this for 60-odd years. Yeah. Surely we've learned all the lessons in the book, but I'm just I'm just staggered. Every single race, you learn something new mm. every single time. And I think that's, that, to be honest, it's quite endearing. Well, that's a good answer. <laughs> I mean, it just shows that Formula One, it can't get arrogant. can't get too arrogant. No. It can be arrogant. It is arrogant a little bit. Uh, it would be remiss of us not to touch on Williams because they're the, the fading story of the current generation. <laughs> I think it's fair to say. Yeah. Although, to be fair, no one ever expected them to do well at Monaco because they haven't in no. this era because their car's just not designed for it. Subtle improvements. They got a point, I think I'm right in saying, or possibly two, uh, which is an improvement on last year and the year before where they were just nowhere. But I think it still goes to show they just don't have the resources to correct these problems. And we see like Ferrari and Red Bull over the last couple of years finding what's wrong with them and fixing it to the point now where they're both pretty rounded, well-rounded packages. Williams, not so. Yeah, um, I'm not sure whether it's an indictment on whether there's a, there's a, there's a ceiling to mm. being a customer team. I mean, let's, let's face it, Williams are very much a customer of Mercedes. Uh, even if they got a lot more sort of mm-hmm. resources from, from the factory squad, uh, once they sort of you know, start outperforming the factory team, you would expect less and less support to be given. Uh, you know, instead of, oh, yeah, we'll, we'll give you this part in 10 minutes. We'll be like, oh, can we give it mm. to you tomorrow? Kind yeah. of thing. Um, it, it's just, I failed to see how Williams, Williams need to make a massive step or do another fundamental change. I mean, we mm. saw them have an evolution when they reunited with Renault in 2012 and passed the Maldonado somehow uh, waltzed his way into a bizarre victory mm-hmm. that year in 2012 in Spain to... Uh, just a utterly mediocre, mediocre season soon after that. <laughs> the the V6 era was a bit of renewal for, for mm. Williams and it was v- much ref- refreshing and welcoming to see because it was looking quite dire for the squad. Uh, mm. You can you only have to look at Sauber of, of how desperate you can you can get in, in Formula 1 when the chips are really, really down. Um, anyway, it's good to see that Williams is in you know some sort, sort of good health as, mm. as a business, but right now it's sort of they sort of had a, a bit of a rise and it sort of peaked without actually yeah. peaking the way a lot of people would have expected. I mean, we saw sometimes it's, you know, the, many mon, uh, mon, uh, Italian or Belgian Grand Prix where you go, surely you've got to win this Grand Prix because you've got the slipperiest car and the fastest car yeah. in a straight line even even quicker than, than the Mercs. And they failed to capitalize on, on those opportunities. So whether, and you know, come those times again, I, I failed to see them doing it again. So unless... They go for another fundamental change, you know, whether it's dare they go with a Honda customer route. Mm, uh, well, well, not even Honda customer, knows? whether they have a, you know, they split the factory operation of Honda between McLaren and Williams because, mm. you know, t- to be honest, yes, I know it's it's very much at the at, at, at the sort of helm of McLaren as to what Honda do with that with that engine. But, you know, if, if you were Honda, you would want to have as many sort of, pseudo factory teams having yeah. some good bits to really develop that engine and it must be painful to see on a weekend where a mercedes customer team in force india can get a podium that williams yeah. can't i know consistently like over the course of a season williams car tends to get better results but then we are also seeing the grid shrink up maybe williams won't beat force india this year we don't know now yeah. that force india is stretching the legs of this b-spec car and i mean that we should have said credit to force india in that respect that's not to say that williams is desperately underperforming but when force india is run by a guy who has an arrest warrant for him and won't leave the UK. <laughs> like, you've got to think, come on, like, there's got to be something here. Exactly. Well, it was good for Sergio to, to thank his his, uh, his his boss, who's very much a wanted man. Apparently the money keeps coming in, so exactly. what can you do? But yeah. you, you tend to find this in motor racing where you develop a car, you keep developing it, and you sort of just get, oh my God, we're still finishing in the same mm-hmm. 
position, but it's because you're finding everybody else up the front and below you is still developing at at, at the same level as, yeah, as you. Unless you you take another two or three or four levels ahead mm-hmm. of your nearest rival and then some, or much like next year we see a, a sort of a fundamental uh, change in the regulations where you can mm. sort of take a loophole um, and and suddenly go from not being an absolute. Uh, basket case of an Earth Dreams Honda Formula One card to being the world champion Braun team the very next mm-hmm. season. Uh, it, it's uh, uh, you've got to capitalize on those moments where we go, you know, forget about it. This this generation of car, we, we've hit the the sort of peak of it of its lifespan. We've got to worry about the the whole new car, and you know, you have to wonder which of those teams are sort of going. Okay, let's forget about 2016. Let's just sort of you know at least poodle around and get points for constructors championship. Let's aim big picture for 2017 beyond. Mm, and that decision is going to start being made now. But that was the Monaco Grand Prix. Uh, unusually, perhaps exciting Monaco Grand Prix. Yeah. I mean, for we, we, we saw some very fast maneuvers in, mm. in Barcelona at the previous round. I mean, I, again, I, I was absolutely gob, gobsmacked by Dan Ricciardo's pass at, at uh, Sebastian Vettel mm. in uh, turn pass, one. if you will. Yeah, his ping pong maneuver <laughs> at turn one. Over 300 kilometers on yep. the brakes. Some fast ping pong. But Monaco was... Absolutely brilliant, but it was brilliant for for being the, one of the most clumsiest displays mm. of Formula One I have ever seen. But I loved every second of it. Yeah, it, it, it's it's amazing. Monaco in the wet is the least flattering. If if you saw if if you showed someone who'd never seen a Formula One race and you showed them the Monaco Grand Prix, you just go, "What is this? <laughs> Why are they so are, close to the walls? This is like watching supermarket trolleys yeah. just sort of being pushed in the wind." <laughs> They just sort of look so cumbersome. They're not. <laughs> they sound like they're idling. They're yeah. in you know first and second gear. That you know, they're crashing into hairpins. Oh, but it, it, it was. I, I had a smile on my face mm. every single lap, even when Ricardo was absolutely robbed mm. of <laughs> victory by his own mechanics. Robbed, and once again we've seen. And we can't thank Ferrelli enough on this program for delivering tires that are really working for racing. But that's been the strategy report for the Monaco Grand Prix. Rob James, where can people find you? Uh, they can find. Me uh, in my car normally, yep. mm, uh, but it's not yellow. At, at Rob James RJ uh, on Twitter, or they can also hear myself uh, and Peter McGinley and assert uh, Michael some uh, Laminara. Uh, yeah, my least favourite one. <laughs> at Box of Neutrals uh, every week, every Friday. So every it's sort Friday. of your end of week. Uh, light-hearted view of Formula 1. Yeah, by the time the race has been forgotten, we'll remind you of it. Still <laughs> topical, I promise. Rob James, thank you so much for joining me. No worries, Mike. And that's all the time we have for this edition of The Strategy Report. You can find The Strategy Report on Facebook, search F1 Strategy Report, or follow at Strategy Report on Twitter. If you want to read more about the strategy of the Monaco Grand Prix, you can go to f1strategyreport.com and follow the links to Jack Leslie's write-up of all the action from Monte Carlo. My name's Michael Laminato. You can find me at Michael Laminato on Twitter. And be sure to join me in two weeks' time when we look back on the Canadian Grand Prix.